Well, dude, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Sorry for being late. Traffic was a monster coming from San Diego. So, but I'm um, glad I was here. If not, Matt was going to be bringing the word to you. So, his wife shakes his head and says, "No way." <laughs> so, anyway. So anyway, well, it is it is definitely a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to worship with you again. Um, glad my wife and son could also join me today as we uh, look into God's word. So um, our text today will be taken from 1 Samuel 14. And I know I, I put in the bulletin through verse uh, 14, but I think I want to read through 24. 1 Samuel 14. And we'll read the first 24 verses. And I'll be reading from the New King James. And this is what the Word of God says. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitabah, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other, uh, Sinna. The front of, of one faced northward outside Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young men who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, but nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still on our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of holes which they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan, his armor bearer, and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor-bearer killed them. That first slaughter was Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp in the field. And among all the people, the garrisons and the raiders also trembled. And the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. 
for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his people who were with him assembled, and they went to battle. Indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Laban. May the Lord add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use me to speak your word. I pray that your people would be attentive to your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give them ears to hear and hearts to receive. And Lord, may we learn some great and valuable lessons that we can apply to our very lives today. So bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this, this portion of Scripture is very interesting to read. But it's a portion of Scripture that we have to ask, how does it apply to us? After all, the Old Testament, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, was given to us as examples. And we as uh, Reformed believers who believe in covenant theology believe that the Bible is one book. And the Old Testament is um, just a, a um, was the first, and then the New Testament is a continuation of the Old Testament. And so here are great lessons that we can learn today. So the background and setting of 1 Samuel uh, 14 really starts in 1 Samuel 13. Israel was in a lot of trouble. They were at war with the Philistines. The Philistines were the old rivals. They've been uh, at war for hundreds of years, uh, battling in war, and here they were again. And it says in uh, 1 Samuel 13 that the Philistines had over 30,000 uh, men who were, uh, at, uh, who, who were there for battle. And Israel had only uh, 600. So think about this. The Philistines had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, it says there in verse 5. And people as a sand was on the seashore, and Israel had about 600 people. That was the problem. That was the issue, and that's what was going on. And so that leads us to uh, 1 Samuel 14. So let's uh, look at some principles uh, that we can learn. First of all, the first principle we learn is that doubt lingers. Doubt leads to inaction. That doubt leads to being paralyzed. It says in verse 2 there, And Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate, pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people with him were about 600 men. Saul was the king. He was the commander of Israel. He was the ruler and the leader, being in the military. The commander who's in charge, has to be out front. Saul was under the pomegranate tree. Commentaries say that that was far away from the battle. 
Saul didn't know what to do. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know. He, he had no idea what his next move would be. After all, there were 30,000 Philistines, and there was only 600 uh, Israelites. And it says there uh, later on that the 600 men were in caves and, and in dens and other places like that. The army was momentarily one second away from being crushed, one second away from being destroyed. And Saul had no idea what he was going to do. He looked at it. He couldn't go forward. He couldn't go backward. He had no ideas. He had no plan. He had no coordination. He had no command. In these days and times, that commander, he would have been fired from being in command. And so this was Saul. Saul here, and then notice it says that Ichabod was there. Uh, it says there in uh, verse um, uh, 3, it says, Ahijah, the son of Ahitabab, Ichabod's brother. If you remember um, early on in 1 Samuel, the sons of Eli, uh, God killed the sons of Eli for their wickedness. And then when um, Ichabod uh, was born, it says the glory of the, of, of, of the Lord has um, decreased greatly. And we see here that Saul didn't even have really the right people around him. He didn't have people to guide him. He didn't have, at this point, a relationship with God because in 1 Samuel 13, we see that he, uh, we see that he was able, that, that he did an unlawful sacrifice. And it says that he was about to lose Israel. He was about to lose uh, being king. God was preparing to remove him from being king. And so this was Saul's plight. The Philistines were all around. There were thousands of Philistines around, 600 Israelites. There was nothing to do. Israel had lost their nerve. The men were afraid. Saul was afraid. They had no idea what to do. Well, what did we learn from this principle? That oftentimes in our Christian life, today, the church has lost their nerve in many ways. Because we hear that the Philistines are all around us. And we hear every day on the news, on cable TV, and podcasts, what do we hear? That wickedness is prevailing. That there's really no hope for the people of God. That our rights will be taken away. That, uh, that we are being overwhelmed by evil. That we're being overwhelmed by wickedness. That the Philistines are in charge. That the wicked are in charge of everything. They're in charge of politics, of business, of, of big tech, and, and of every other aspect of it. And so what should Christians do? We should go hide in dens. We should go and, and be afraid and to be fearful. Why? Because the day of Christianity is gone now. Evil and wickedness have prevailed. Evil and wickedness are in their place. And so today we see that the church has not the will nor the desire to fight against the Philistines, against those who are evil and in wicked places. Not only, and we see this every single day, every day we're being told to go run, 
to go flee, to go hide. Because the Philistines are at the gate and they're about to overtake us. This is what we see on a daily basis. Or maybe our Philistines are our personal um, trials and tribulations that we're dealing with at the moment. Maybe the Philistines are those who are, who are, you know, maybe whatever we're going, maybe it's our health or people we're dealing with or our job or our family or our situations. And we look around and we are scared and afraid and we're stuck and we don't know which way to go because we feel overwhelmed. We feel anxious. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt anxious? Well, this is the way that Saul uh, felt and the Israels felt because their whole focus was on the enemy. The whole focus was on the Philistines. Notice Saul never speaks of God, never talks about God. All he is saying that there's 30,000 horsemen, I mean 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. What is he to do? Well, that's the first thing that we see is that doubt causes us to be stuck. But secondly, we see that faith moves. Faith has action because Jonathan saw the same thing that Saul saw. Jonathan saw the same thing that Saul saw. And he says there in uh, verse 1, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come. Let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. And then in verse 6, he says there, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, and maybe that the Lord will work for us. But nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Faith is always moving forward. Faith is action. Faith believes. Faith without works is dead. Jonathan is on the move. And notice what he says there. Don't miss that in verse uh, 6. He says, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Well, who are the uncircumcised? If you remember in the Old Testament, the, uh, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. That was the outward sign of the covenant. If you were not circumcised, you were cut off from the covenant. You are not part of the covenant. And Jonathan is saying here that the Philistines are not as mighty or as powerful or as strong as we might think. Why? Because they are the enemies of God. They're not part of the uncircum they are not part of the covenant of God. And so John Jonathan is saying, let us go over to the camp of these uncircumcised that we ought not to make more of people than they are. No matter what position they hold, no matter what title they have, no matter who they are, they are all under the hands of the Almighty God. Come, let us go over to the uncircumcised. Jonathan is not afraid of the, why? Because he's uh, got a death wish. Is that why he's not afraid? Or maybe he's, or maybe we think that Jonathan is insane for wanting to go and fight. It's just him and his armor bearer. What can he do against this great army of the Philistines? 
But notice what he says there in verse 6, the second part. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. He doesn't say, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised because he's such a great warrior, because he's so strong, because he's so mighty, because he's so powerful, because he can do mighty and wonderful and amazing things. He doesn't say that he's got um, a, a, a history of being a great soldier. He says, what? Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. He says, God is with him. That's what he says. That's why he can go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. Yes, they're badly outnumbered. Yes, things look bad. Yes, things don't look well. But he is looking to God. Faith always clings to God, clings to Christ. Faith always looks to God. We often, far too often, look too much at ourselves when we have a task. We say, I can't do it, or I'm not strong enough, or I'm not powerful enough, I'm too weak, or I might be embarrassed, or this might go wrong, or that might go wrong. But Jonathan says, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's why he says, come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. That's what we need is faith. Faith in this world. Yes, oftentimes the people of this world are built up, exalted, placed on pedestals, but they are servants of God. They are under the hands of God. What, who are they against God? God says that he views the people in Isaiah 40. He views the nations as dust on the scales, vanity, less than vanity. Men at their best are vapor. They're nothing before God. He tells us to remember that, that whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever problems we have, we must remember that God is with us. We don't think about God enough. We think too much about the circumstances, too much about the difficulties, too much about the trouble, too much about the evil in the world, too much about the wickedness in the world, and we forget about God. We forget how powerful God is. We forget how great God is in our affluent society with our technology and our smartphones and our medical um, advancements and so on. It's great to depend on these things. But we must also remember that God is over all of these things. And so faith is always moving. Faith is action. Faith says to go and we go. And then notice verse 7. It's always good to have the right people in your corner, around you. Notice in verse 2, rather, it says, uh, um, in verse 1, the last sentence there, but he did not tell his father. In verse 7, the armor bearer says, do, that's all, do, what, do all that is in your heart. Why didn't he tell Saul, his father? That would have been the right thing to do, to let him know. But he observed his father. He viewed his father. First of all, he knew his father would have said, don't do it. No, you're not going. He saw his father just sitting there, lost, not knowing which way to go. 
not exercising faith. So Jonathan chose to go on his own as he had a divine impulse because Saul would have talked him out of it. He would have convinced him, you can't go up against the Philistines. They're too big. They're too powerful. They're too strong. You cannot do it. We have to be careful who we listen to. Do the people we listen to, do they excite faith in us? Do they encourage us to have faith in Christ, faith in God? When William Carey wanted to go to be a missionary, it was said that a young and one of the old elders in the church and the denomination told him, sit down, young man. If God wanted you, if God wanted to convert the heathen, he wouldn't use the likes of you. How often do people talk us out of what God has for us? How often do people discourage us from doing what God wants us to do? That's why we have to be careful who we listen to. But notice the armor bearer, verse 7, we don't know his name, but it says, so his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart armor bear was right there. There is something about that, that, that teamwork, that support, that encouragement that for someone as uh, uh, Elder Matt uh, prayed this morning for China and Haiti and many other places around the world is that we are one body of believers. We are uh, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. When we come and say we have a problem, we should say, I'm with you. I'm here to help. I'm here to do what I can to help. That's what the armor bearer said. Do all that is with your heart. Go here. I am with you. You know, as a chaplain, oftentimes I get people all over the, the world emailing me. Hey, I'm praying for you, praying for your family. That means a lot that you're thinking about us. That means a lot when someone's thinking about you. I don't know these people, never met them. But to get a note, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about your ministry. I'm thinking about the things that you're going through. And that's what we do as a body of believers. The prayer of the righteous avails much. And how often does God put people in our lives to help us? When Moses didn't want to go to uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, and he says, I can't speak well. And he says, I'll give you Aaron. Aaron will be basically like your armor bearer to help you. Uh, You see in the New Testament, when, when Paul often had companions and Peter had companions, you had the brothers praying for him. Peter was in prison. You had the brothers praying for and sisters praying for Peter to be released from prison to have an armor bearer, to have someone like-minded to go with us is very important. He didn't try to discourage him. He said, do all that's in your heart. I am with you. And then Jonathan says very well, then verse 9 and 10, the next principle we hear is that we obey God, that faith is not reckless. Faith is not um, uh, something that is is, um, silly, but it's under control. It's always following the words of God. He says, it may be 
Jonathan's not sure if God is going to work on his behalf. He says, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. But he says, we'll, 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 we'll have signs. In the Old Testament, they're often used signs. He says, if they say, wait until we come to you, then we will stand. But if they tell us to go up, then we're going. And they said, go up. And they go. You know, faith obeys the Lord. Faith says, I want to be an instrument in God's hands. Faith says, it's not about me. Jonathan is not thinking about himself. He's thinking about being an instrument in God's hands, being useful to his country. His country members right now are in a big trouble. They are moments away from being uh, destroyed. And so he is thinking about how to deliver uh, his, his country from the Philistines. So whatever plans we have, whatever we do, we always need to make sure that they line up with God's plans. Make sure that it's God's will for us, that, that, that this is what God wants for us to do. And when Jonathan saw that it was God's will, he quickly moved up. And it says there in verse 11 that he, uh, verse 12, that he climbed up by his hands. Uh, 13, and commentators say that this was a, a uh, very dangerous and steep mountain. Climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. In other words, the next principle is this, is that faith requires sometimes to face your fears and to endure difficulty. Face your fears and to endure difficulty. Jonathan is climbing up him and his armor bearer on his hands and knees to get to the enemy. Jonathan didn't know if he was going to live. He didn't know if he was going to be killed. He didn't know what was going to take place. C.S. Lewis says that if you are looking for a comfortable life, Christianity is not the life for you. God calls upon us at times to be uncomfortable. Oftentimes we speak of having this peace within us. If I could just have this peace, then I know that it will go well. But God doesn't always give us that peace. Sometimes we are, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I went with fear and trembling. It is true, God does not give us the spirit of fear, but that does not mean that we will never be afraid. Fear is a legitimate emotion. Fear is legitimate because fear God has put within us, first of all, to protect us from uh, being from dangerous situations, uh, to help us and to, and to help to preserve our lives. But when God calls us to do something, when he puts it on our hearts to do something, how often do we talk ourselves out of what we know that he is asking us to do? So sometimes even during the midst of fear, we have to go for it. J Jonathan went for it. Uh, Ten years ago, I, um, I learned how to swim. And when you're older, swimming, it was terrifying. It was terrifying to me. 
I was able to swim pretty decently in the five foot water. The reason why is because I'm tall. So if I had any problems, I could just stand up and I'm good. So something solid. But what really got me was the 10, 12, 14, 15 foot water. I used to see that and it was just terror struck. I'm going to drown. This is not going to work. I had a, uh, a lifeguard. He was like my swim coach. He was trying to get me to dive off the diving board because in Navy we have qualifications for swimming. And so at first he had me go to the edge. He says, we're just going to just step off the edge and you'll be fine. So I would say, Lord, just help me just step off on the edge. Amen. Just help me. I would pray that, but my feet wouldn't move. And I would tell the lifeguard, you're, you're too far away. I, you won't be able to get to me. I'll of a drown or I might hit my head on the, on the edge. I had all of these fears. And even when I was um, trying to swim the length of the pool, again, I would pray and pray fervently. But then it still was a lot of fear and anxiety because I was thinking God was going to take away the fear, but he didn't. So I had to learn, it dawned on me, that I have to jump in and trust the Lord that he's going to preserve me. That's the only way. I couldn't wait a month or two months because it's the same thing. The Philistines would still be there. My fears would still be there. How often do we do that? I'll do that later on. I'll do it another time. I'll do it at another seasonable time. When that time comes, it's the same issue, the same problems. The only way I could get over that is to jump in. The only way I could swim, oftentimes I would start swimming and immediately my mind would say, stop, you're going to drown, stop, stop. No, don't go. I had to overcome that. And that is what God calls upon us to do. We all have fears. We all have, have uh, things that, Worry us. Maybe mine was swimming. Maybe yours is something else. But God is calling upon us to trust him. That we have to do it in order for him to trust. He's not going to teleport us into it. He's not going to maybe give us that sense of peace. He says, I know you're afraid, but trust me. Trust me. And this is what Jonathan did. Climbing up this high mountain. With all of the uh, rocks and, and, and there's a garrison up there. And they are badly outnumbered. What is he doing? What is he thinking? But Jonathan kept going. Why? Because he realized this. That nothing restrains the Lord from saving. By many or by few. And this is what Jonathan understood. And that we are going to be fruitful Christians. And we are going to be Christians who are people of faith. We have to step out. We have to step out into the deep end. God doesn't want us to be comfortable. He doesn't want us to uh, be secure. He wants us to have faith. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to be vulnerable. He wants us to be in situations at times where it's dangerous. This was a dangerous situation for Jonathan. When I was swimming, I thought it was dangerous. 
I was going to drown. God wants us to deal with that. Why? Because that's how he teaches us. That's how he guides us and directs us. It's okay to be fearful. That's why he says he's not giving us that spirit of fear. What that spirit of fear mean? That fearful, that, that fearfulness that paralyzes you, that you can't move like Saul had. But for the Christian, he says the righteous are as bold as a lion. That verse helped me a lot when I was swimming. That the righteous are as bold as a lion. That the righteous don't have to fear. Why? Because of God. Because of God. And so while the situation was not ideal, Jonathan moves. And so God calls upon us to move even in adversity. And then my last principle is this is that it's amazing what God can do with one person who's obedient and who's willing to go. Because if you read the rest of it, you see that this armor bearer was with him. They killed about 20 people, and then God did the rest. You see, it's not us just doing it. God did the rest because after the 20 people were doing it, it says that suddenly there, there was trembling and the earthquake. And there was a great trembling. And God put within the Philistine army a sense of fear, of dread. That's why it says in the Bible, one can chase a thousand. Two can chase ten thousand. In other words, these people started killing themselves. They started panicking. They started fleeing. They started running. God took over. How often do we say, what good can I do? Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm no one. How can I deal with my problems and my situations? Just by having faith. God loves faith. He delights in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God delights in those who have faith. Those who are willing to be used by him, those who trust him, those who put him to the test. Well, just a, a couple of applications. First of all, my first application is this to, I would say young people that are under 40. How about that? Youth is a gift. God has given you energy and strength and power. You have your whole lives in front of you, so to speak. God willing. How often do we think that our lives are for us to make money and be successful? There's nothing wrong with those things. But how about if we use that zeal and that youthfulness? Jonathan was a young man for the glory of God. God often uses people like a Martin Luther, a John Calvin, who were in their 20s, who were young, to do amazing things, mighty and powerful things. Who are we? We're nobody. But the God that we serve is wonderful and powerful. How can we be useful to God, young people? Oftentimes we think of only ourselves, but we should think I could be a mighty weapon in the hand of God. What about us who are over 40? Notice I said us. 
maybe we can look back and say, oh, I wish I could do it again. I wish I blew it so many times. I wish I could go back to when I was 20. I wish I could do it again. I wasted this. I've done this wrong and so on. None of that really matters. Because God can use us no matter what our ages are. Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead Israel out of Egypt. 80. He was 80 years old. And we know about Abraham being 100 years old having a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Whatever we've done in the past, wherever we're stuck, it's not ever too late for us to go forward, to move forward. Why? Because we do it in the power of God. Not in our power, but in God's power. I had, I'll close with this, I had a, a, a supervisor as a chaplain and I don't know if I told you this story. He preached, uh, you know, in, in the military, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it can be very tricky and challenging when you preach the gospel because some people don't like it. Well, he preached, the, he told me a story, he preached the gospel and a one-star general came up to, to chaplain, I, I don't like that way you preach. That's offensive. I don't want to hear you preaching like that again. Well, it was Christmas Eve, just like in the civilian world. Uh, in the military world, everyone goes to mass or church on Christmas Eve. And he was scheduled to preach, and he looks out, and he sees that one-star general there. What's he going to do? He prayed, and he really preached the gospel. And afterwards, people were greeting him, he could see out of the corner of his eye this one-star general coming to him. But before that general got there, a three-star general steps and says, Chaplain, that was one of the greatest messages I ever heard. He said that one-star general made a beeline for the door. I tell that story because God protects us and God loves us. And remember this, that we are not fighting the Philistines because we have a king who is afraid. Jesus is the king of kings. He went and he defeated the enemy, sin, death, and hell. He is the forerunner of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. He's at the right hand of the Father. And we fight on his behalf. We all have a war to fight. My war is different than your war. Put on the whole armor of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darknesses and rulers against high places. But God says, fight. Fight. Take up your sword and fight. In your own power? No. In the power of God. If you don't know Jesus, you're on the wrong team. And God invites you this morning to be on the right team by confessing your sins and laying down your arms and receiving him as Savior so he can use you as a mighty warrior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord, that um, we are fearful and all of us sometimes give in to our fears. 
and all of us see the Philistines that we lose nerve and lose our hearts. But Lord, help us, enable us, give us power. Lord, strengthen us to realize that you are God and you're on the throne and that you are a help in times of trouble. And this is your battle and not our battle. You've enlisted us to fight, so Lord, let us fight the good fight of faith. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.